The Guardian. The Guardian Children's Book Podcast. Hello, I'm Lottie. And I'm Ginger. And we're going to be interviewing Rebecca Stead about her book, Lyra's Spy. And I'm very happy to be here. Can you describe Lyra and Spy in your own words? Lyra and Spy is a story about a kid who is going through a really tough year. He is figuring out how to navigate middle school, which I think we can all agree is one of the more challenging stages of life, if we can call middle school a stage of life. For me, it certainly was. In school, he's sort of been let go of by his best friend and is in this in-between space that I think actually a lot of kids go through, where for a little while, you're not exactly sure you know, who you can lean on as a friend. And at the same time, he's drawn into a surveillance operation in his apartment building because there's a kid upstairs his age who's homeschooled in his building who tells him that there is something sinister happening in the building and specifically in the apartment above George's. And so together, these two boys are trying to figure out what's happening in the building and While doing that, they're forming what's kind of a fragile friendship. In the beginning of Lion's Bite, it seems that George really needs safer for a friend to rescue him from loneliness. But at the end, it's safer who needs George more. Was that intended? It was intended by the time I finished writing the book. But when I start a book, I don't know where it's going to end. So I did not start the book with this plan. It was something that evolved during the writing process. And I write usually over a couple of years. So there's a lot of time for things like that to sort of come together on the page. George felt abandoned by his best friend and the core gang were having a go at him. Do you think this happens a lot among boys? I always thought that girls could be more spiteful. Hmm, I hear that too, actually. A lot of people do tell me that it's worse for girls. And I know that... I went through things like that, you know, growing up. But I absolutely think this is happening among boys. And I think that it's part of childhood. Is the school George attended based on your own memories of school? I know mine is similar. It is based a little bit on my memory of uh, middle school, which is what we called junior high school when I was a kid. And one or two of the teachers in the story are based on teachers I knew, particularly the gym teacher. But no, it's not, it's not very closely based on any, anything I experienced. We're at middle school, but not many people in England are. Can you explain what age group they are? Yes. So the kids in Liar and Spy are 12 and 13. In the U.S., those are, that's middle school age kids. And Typically, middle school in the U.S. is grades 6, 7, and 8. I have to say I think it's really smart if you, if you have done away with middle school here because it's sort of universally recognized in the U.S. as a tough time of life. When you've left sort of the comfort in, of your primary school or elementary school, as we call it, and you're not yet with your feet on the ground in high school. 
Do you think that George's friends joined the call game to make sure that he wasn't a victim of bullying? And do you think teachers really do enough to stop it even though every school has an anti-bullying policy? I think that it's hard sometimes for teachers to know what's really going on and that for them to have an understanding of what are sometimes very subtle social situations. They need to have relationships with individual students. And, you know, I understand that in a practical sense, that's very hard to do because you might not have time to have an individual personal relationship with with all of your students. But I think that something teachers can do is sort of have a sense of who in the class might be struggling and to to reach out and, and offer that, you know, that kid an opportunity to talk if he or she wants to talk. On the other hand, talking is often the hardest part, you know, being, being open about how you're feeling can be hard. And that's sort of part of what I wanted to write about and what I wanted to explore was the idea that sometimes it's easier, you know, to tell yourself either that it's not really happening or that it's happening, but it doesn't really matter. And so I think, you know, it's a big problem. And the solution is communication, but it doesn't have to be a teacher who, you know, a kid talks to. It can be another adult. It doesn't have to be a parent either. It can be an adult from, you know, another part of life, a coach or a music teacher or someone else. Sophie's whole family is different from most families I know. Are the characters in it drawn from people you know? No, they are absolutely invented. George's father doesn't feature as a very strong character in the book. Is that deliberate? No, it wasn't deliberate. Um, Usually when I'm writing, certain characters sort of stand up and announce themselves, and others fade a bit. And you have to make choices like that as a writer. You can't sort of focus on every member of every family in your story, or it begins to feel, you know, like you're sort of taking a survey, and it's harder to focus on what's interesting to you as material. So he kind of never stood up and announced himself in the way that Safer's mother did. And so she ended up being much more important to the story. You said once that you were going to call the main character in Lions by Roy. If you had done that, would the story have turned out differently? Because I thought there was a connection in the story in Georges Chirat. Yes, that's exactly right. It would have been a very different story if his name had been Roy. Names have a lot to do with my sort of mental image of a character that I'm working on. So when I changed his name, it actually signified a change in how I saw his character. And it had something to do, you're right, with George Surratt, which is that he took on this attitude that he was above a lot of teasing or bullying or difficulties he was having in school. And that whole attitude that he was sort of above it all and trying to see it all from very far away was a big part of how his character evolved for me while I was writing the book. And that had a lot to do with his name change. Have you ever left Scrabble tile messages for your children and do you try out your ideas for your stories on them? No, I have never done that in real life. Although I did sit down one day and make sure that you could write all the messages in the book with one set of Scrabble tiles. And I found that actually I was short a letter or two. And I think toward the end of the book, there's one where he has to, he runs out of a letter and he has to turn a W or an M upside down. I had to write that in because as I sat there on the floor of my bedroom with my Scrabble set, I realized, whoops, I've run out of 
M's or something. So um, I do eventually get down to all these little details. How much writing did you do at school? Did your teachers tell you that you were good at it? I did not do a lot of writing in school. And I think I got like pretty average um, encouragement from teachers. I always say that, you know, one of the hardest things about becoming a writer is sort of assuming the identity of a writer. Because if you're someone who I think probably like everyone in this room loves books really fiercely, it feels like incredible hubris, really, to say, oh, and now I'm going to be a writer. It's a very hard thing to say that you're doing. And so, because it feels absurd in the beginning. You know, you always, most people I know who are writing feel at the beginning as if, you know, they're nobody. So who are they to try to write an actual book? So it's very, very tricky, I think, to take that on and to say out loud to the world that you want to try can be really challenging. So I did not write much as a kid. Um, and I also was not really told by teachers, you know, this is what you should do. But I actually like that because I always say to kids and adults, you know, don't, don't wait for somebody else to tell you what you're allowed to do. You should just go do it because you know in your heart that it's what you want to do. And why not? Do you think that learning a lot of grammar at school helps you to be a better writer or do you think you become better just by writing a lot? I think it's both, to be honest. I happen to be a big believer in understanding grammar. And I think that especially in writing, I think when you're speaking, grammar is a little bit less important. But when you're writing, it's really important to have a strong understanding of grammar. And though it was sort of painful for me at certain times when I was learning it, I think it's sort of like music where it's important to know the basics before you can feel comfortable breaking the rules a little bit. Like when I was a kid, I was told that you could never start a sentence with the word and, and that's something that I do as a writer all the time. But I think that being comfortable with grammar helps you to be comfortable breaking the rules. I also think reading all the time is really important. When and where do you do your writing? Well, I live in an apartment in New York City, and we tend to be a little bit short on space there. So my desk is where I write, and it's in my bedroom. And it's about eight feet from my bed, unfortunately. So occasionally I, I take a nap break. And for the most part, it works pretty well. Every once in a while, I just have to get out of my apartment because I feel like I've been looking at those same walls a little bit too much. And then I usually just go to a library or to a coffee shop. But for the most part, I work at home. You said in an interview that you went out to buy books you had enjoyed when you were a child. Can you tell us what they were? I know that one of them was A Wrinkle in Time. I know that one of them was this book by Robert Heinlein, who wrote science fiction. He wrote for adults and children. But I had particularly loved um, this book, Red Planet, um, which he wrote for children, which I don't think is, is very is very often read in the United States now. I wonder if anyone reads it here. What else? I read a book called Fog Magic by Julia Sawyer that I loved. Have you read any of the other books on the Guardian's Children Fiction Prize long list? The four that I have read are like yours, about real people in situations that could happen. Do you think that fantasy is becoming less popular? Actually, the one book that I have read is Rooftoppers. 
And that did feel like fantasy to me in a way. And I should just say that I loved it pretty much from page one. I have also read not his newest book, but many books by David Almond. And one of the things I love most about his writing is the way he writes fantasy. I think it's really hard to generalize about what is popular, because I think that mostly when a book grips people, it's the emotion of the book. And that can be that can work in a contemporary story or in a story that's a fantasy. I read that you lost all your writing that you had done and that made you think about writing children's books. Can you tell us how it happened? I have two sons, and when they were very, very small, my older son was probably still two or maybe just three. Um, I had some short stories for adults that I'd been working on for quite a while, and I had them on a computer that was sitting on our dining room table. And my son, being three, knocked it onto the floor of our, the wood floor of our dining room. And I lost all of the stories that were on the computer. Nothing could be retrieved from the hard drive, although I tried really hard to get them back. So I had to sort of think about what it was that I wanted to do with my writing. And I started to think about why I really wanted to write, because the idea of going back to recreate these stories was absurd, actually, and it just couldn't be done. When I thought about reading, I began to think about childhood reading and how I really felt about books at the beginning, you know? And that made me want to sort of rediscover what it was that I felt as a kid when I first loved reading. And that's when I went and bought those books at the bookstore that I remembered reading as a kid. And then I went back and I bought new books. And I thought, what are people writing in this field now? Because I haven't read a new children's book in a long time. And that is when I discovered David Almond, for example. I discovered his books then, before I started writing, really, for children. And writing like that, that was just sublime and wonderful to read made me think about writing for children. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com/audio.